Live from D1 Abilene, it's Docs and Jocks, brought to you by Buffalo Wild Wings. Here's your host, Dr. Dan. Hey, welcome to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan, coming to you from inside the Docs and Jocks radio studio, the Outlooks overlooks uh, D1 Abilene doing a great sports workout today. Hey, if you ever want to find out more about D1 Abilene, it might be the place for you to get your workout on. Hey, check out D1Abilene.com. Hey, we want to say thank you to, if you're just catching our show for the very first time. It's your sports medicine show. We're a sports entertainment show that talks about the uh, sports entertainment world from a sports medicine niche. And what I mean by that is I'm a long-term sports medicine physician with Texas Sport and Spine. And basically here on the radio, I'm doing what I do in my day job every day uh, here talking about what's going on with uh, the entertainment, sports entertainment world with regards to injury. So maybe a shoulder, a hip, a knee injury in the news. That's what we're talking about here on Docs and Jocks. We do it in such a way that hopefully breaks it down and makes it very understandable. Maybe if your favorite player on your favorite team is injured, uh, you can get a little update on what's going on with that player and how long it's going to be and how quickly he is going to be back and all those kind of things. So I am joined each week also by my co-host, Ferris Potter. Ferris is the voice of Grand Canyon University, longtime sports broadcaster. Ferris, thanks for being on the show today. Absolutely, man. Look forward to it every week. Got a lot of great stuff to talk about and some incredible interviews. Uh, if you don't know, uh, in the sports world, there are some some things that happen that we uh, step back and it makes us remi- reminds us really that sports is important, but it's not the most important thing. I think the death and uh, passing away this week of uh, legendary football coach Spike Dykes, who was at uh, Texas Tech University, 50 years in high school and college coaching uh, with Texas Tech University, uh, he passed away this week. So we're going to play an interview later on in the show uh, that we did with Spike. Uh, just It was actually on his birthday. It was on his 77th birthday, Ferris. Uh, what a nice guy Spike Dykes was to come on our little yeah. show here and come on and talk about uh, you know his life in football. We're going to replay that interview. And then we're going to have on current uh, Texas Tech University head football coach Cliff Kingsbury. And uh, Coach Kingsbury was kind enough and gracious enough to come on and talk about his very first uh, university football coach, Spike Dykes, and what it meant to him. We actually play a piece of the Spike Dykes interview for Coach Kingsbury and let him uh, tell the story in his own words. So you will not want to miss that interview nor the interview with legendary coach uh, Spike Dykes who just passed away this week. Hey, we do want to say thank you to all our wonderful sponsors. And this segment is brought to you by Sports Clips as well as Buffalo Wild Wings. Hey, remember, if you want to be a sponsor of our sports medicine show, Docs and Jocks, really easy to do. All you have to do is go to docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com. And there you'll find out how to follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And you can also contact us through email at docsandjocks at gmail.com. And let us know you want to be a sponsor, or maybe you even have a question you want to ask about maybe your injury, a knee, hip, back, shoulder problem that we maybe talked about here on the show. And we will uh, bring that question up on air and answer your question on air. It's kind of like an Ask the Doctor segment. Hey, don't forget, we're one of the fastest growing uh, iTunes uh, podcasts, Docs and Jocks, D O X N J O X. I want to say thank you to all our audience for making that happen. And we will be right back with uh, the end of our segment one here in just a moment. You're listening to Guy Talk, live from the Sport Clips Haircuts locker room. Caller, you're on the air. My girlfriend beat me playing one-on-one. Ooh, sounds like you need to hit up a Sport Clips for an awesome haircut experience and some quality man time. I don't know. My girlfriend always takes me to her salon. Nonsense. Be your own man and get a great haircut in a guy-friendly place from stylists who know what guys need. You may be right. Sure I'm right. Now grab your Y chromosome, get down to Sport Clips, and ask for the MVP. Sport Clips. It's good to be a guy. 
no one burns calories like Firehouse Subs. Introducing our hearty and flavorful under 500 calorie menu. Steaming hot sriracha beef, hook and ladder light, turkey cranberry, and more. Six new subs, four new salads, overflowing with flavor under 500 calories. And starting at only $5.49. Under 500 calories never tasted so hearty and flavorful. Firehouse Subs. One bite, one taste, you're hooked. Hey, welcome back to your Docs and Jocks Sports Medicine Radio Show. My name is Dr. Dan, coming here from inside Docs and Jocks Radio Studio. Great to have you with us. To get our show for the very first time, we'll uh, find out more about your radio show here. You can go to docsandjocks.com or follow us on your iTunes app, D-O-X-N-J-O-X, Docs and Jocks. That's D-O-X-N-J-O-X. Love to have you part of our show any way you can. Joined each week by my co-host, Ferris Potter. Hey, Ferris, let's just jump right into the uh, Spike Dyke story. His uh, memorial service was yesterday, and my good friend and your good friend, Ferris, who's been a really... One believable guest here on uh, Docs and Jocks, longtime uh, Texas high school and college Hall of Fame football coach, Coach Jimmy Keeling. I was speaking to Coach Keeling, who went to a Spike Dykes Memorial Service. For those of you who are listening outside of maybe the big country area, Spike Dykes is uh, bigger than uh, just our area. He was really a national figure that everybody beloved in the football world. He was a uh, coach at Texas Tech University. He had a bunch of – he's kind of our version, Ferris – of Yogi Berra-isms. Yogi had all these sayings. Well, in West Texas, there's lots of sayings. We call them spike-isms. And uh, so he, it, Mac Brown, uh, Coach Mac Brown with the uh, University of Texas, uh, spoke at his funeral, and uh, several other guests got up, and they gave great stories about Spike. And I said this after meeting him and speaking with him on air. I said, I don't think anybody would want to shed a tear at Spike Dyke's funeral. Not that we don't miss him, but he was just the kind of guy that was just gregarious and friendly and really showed a life of joy. And so he brought that to his players, to his coaches, and to Texas Tech University and really all the football world. And uh, Coach Jimmy Keeling, who was at his uh, memorial yesterday, the funeral, as we speak today, but uh, he was told, <laughs> Spike Dykes told him before he passed away, Coach Keeling was speaking to him briefly, and, you know, he could hardly breathe, and he uh, told Coach Keeling, his longtime, uh, one of his best friends, he said, uh, if anyone cries at my funeral, kick him out, and he, <laughs> he, called, <laughs> he called, called Coach Jimmy Keeling, Coach Keeling uh, has been in the coaching world as long as Spike Dykes, 50 years, he was the winningest coach at Harden-Simmons, really at any NCAA level for an entire decade, Coach Keeling was, so he was, he's honored and revered here in our area as well. And uh, Coach Spike Dice called him, uh, called him Keeler. He goes, hey, Keeler, uh, tell anyone if they cry my wedding, kick him out. Of, <laughs> my wedding, my funeral, <laughs> kick him out. So he didn't, he didn't, he didn't call him Coach Keeler. He called him Coach Keeler. I thought that was funny. But they told some great, <laughs> great stories about Spike Dykes. They said uh, he started his life in football affairs in 1951s when he started football. He just, just passed away, and he just quit coaching just a few years ago. Do you think he'll be broadcasting, sports broadcasting fairs for 50 years? You've uh, been doing it a long time now. That just seems like a long time to go, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. But, man, you know, if you get in the right gig, you know, and yeah. people just get comfortable with you, uh-huh. yeah. I mean, some of those guys, once they get past 30 years, it's kind of up to them, you know. Yeah, 50 <laughs> If they want years. to do it, they'll keep doing it. Right, 50 years of playing and coaching at multiple levels. He was at high school levels, and then he went on to coach, uh, you know, the university level. At one university for 13 years, which – doesn't necessarily sound like a long time until you start thinking about all the coaches you know, and very few of them have ever been at a school for 13 years. The old saying is a head football coach, uh, when they move to a two town, yeah. new, new town, does not plant trees in his yard because he won't be there to see him grow up. So <laughs> it's, a, it's a tough thing to be at one place for 13 years. He was an all-Southwest Conference and Big 12 Coach of the Year after they moved over to the Big 12. So pretty, pretty great uh, career there in its own right. 
His last quarterback uh, is going to be on the show today. He's uh, Cliff Kingsbury was the last quarterback for Spike Dykes. Actually, where he's going to tell a story. Both Spike will tell it in his interview that we did with him, and then Coach Kingsbury will tell the story of they were losing 28 to, what they say, 28-18 at halftime. And uh, Coach Kingsbury runs by him and says, uh, Coach, we got him right where we want him, and came out and won for Spike Dykes. Today. So <laughs> we're going to hear that story from both of those guys personally. The other uh, Spike is my liked. Uh, he was one time interviewed Ferris. He had just lost a football game. His team had. They were interviewing him on uh, radio, and they said, uh, "Spike, uh, Coach Dykes, did uh, how do you think feel like feel like your team played today?" And he said, uh, "We played like buzzard puke." If you ever want to know a West Texas Spikeism, there you go. If uh, you can imagine, that's that'd be, <laughs> that'd be a pretty bad thing. Then also, uh, t- Mac Brown, Coach Mac Brown, told a, some great, amazing stories at his memorial service yesterday. The legendary coach at University of Texas. He said. Uh, one time they were getting ready to play. UT was playing uh, Texas Tech for the very first time, and Coach Brown walks over to the uh, group where the officials and uh, Spike Dyke is standing, and they're all standing there, and so they all uh, shake hands with Mac Brown, the officials do, and then they all give Spike Dyke a hug. This is at Texas Tech. They all give Coach Sp- Spike Dyke <laughs> a hug. Then uh, near the end of the game, Texas Tech needed an onside kick to stay in the game. So Texas Tech onside kicks it, and sure enough, they recover it. And right in front of Mac Brown, the official gets the ball and says, Spike's ball, and push and points towards the uh, Texas Spikes Tech. Ball. He didn't say Texas <laughs> Tech. He said Spike's ball, Spike's ball. And then at the end of the game, Mac Brown was walking off the uh, field, and he hears an official uh, uh, yell over to uh, Spike Dyke, said, hey, tell Susan we love that apple pie she made for us today. <laughs> so, that, yeah. Yeah. Spike uh, had a way with the officials. Everybody loved him. Think of another coach, Ferris, that – who in your mind is like Coach Dykes that was beloved but not only by his fans, other, other schools liked him. He was just one of those guys that always seemed that he was bigger than the game. Can you think of anybody like that in baseball, football, basketball? doesn't necessarily have to be football. Who's another coach like that in our era right now? You know, I can't, I can't put my finger on one um, because most of the coaches are, are really disliked when they're younger, you know, yeah. and then as they get older and they stay in it longer, they kind of, people kind of forget that they were, you know, a pain in the rear for their like, early years. You know, they're not like Tommy like Lasorda. Who, People liked him forever. Would Tommy Lasorda fit that bill that people kind of always liked I think it fits more in baseball than anything yeah. because the managers are so, you know, kind of laid back and, and, and a little little less aggressive. And yeah. I You know, football, I can't think of it. I mean, like, like you know, people still don't like, you know, the guy down at Florida State, you know, he's been yeah. there forever. Or, you know, I mean, Mountain I guess, and... do I dare bring up Joe Paterno before all that oh, stuff happened? Oh, it was. I mean, Paterno would have been there before that happened. him, you yeah. know, people liked yeah. him. but um, He would have been a guy like that, yeah. But like, but but a guy like Urban Meyer or Jim Harbaugh, you can't imagine people going, everybody loving those guys, you know, in yeah. twenty years from now. You just can't, you can't picture it, you know, because they're just right. they're just so hot all the time. Yeah, and it's a definitely a different era, coach. There was a story they told it as a memorial yesterday. He was a coach at Eastland, a small town out here in West Texas, and so he's uh, driving home after getting beat from some by another team, and he gets hit in the back of the head by a sack lunch that somebody threw at him. Uh, coach Dykes was uh, driving the bus, as a lot of football coaches do out here in West Texas. You have to have wear multiple hats, usually coach multiple sports, as well as drive the bus, literally. And a sack lunch hit him in the back of the head, so he pulls the bus over, and he said, all right, who threw it? Well, nobody would tell him who threw it, so he waited there for an hour. And finally, someone fessed up who threw it. So he takes the kid who threw it, took him off the bus, and he's talking to him, and he gives him a chewing out, and then gets back on the bus and leaves the kid on Highway 6, which is in between Dublin and Eastland. Ferris, if you don't know where Dublin and Eastland is, nobody out here does either. So a little Highway 6, a real rural road out in the middle of nowhere, leaves the kid, drives home, goes home after the game, you know, just like regular day, doesn't tell his wife or anything, and next morning gets a call from the superintendent, and the superintendent's first words were, were uh, tell me you didn't do it. Coach Dykes was like, <laughs> tell you what, I didn't do what? He goes, 
tell me you didn't leave the school board president's son sitting on the side of the road. He goes, uh, of course I left him on the side of the road. He hit me in the back of the head with a sack of lunch. He goes, well, you know you're going to get fired, don't you? He goes, what? So he hung up the phone with the superintendent. He just drove up to school, turned his keys in. The superintendent coach was like, or superintendent was like, Coach, you can't quit right now. We're halfway through the middle of football season. He goes, well, either fire me now or keep me on. Sure enough, kept him on. It kept, <laughs> kept him on. It was, that's just a different era, man. I love the superintendent. Tell me you didn't do it. What? What's, what's that? Like what? <laughs> School board president's kid hit him in the back of the head with a sack lunch. Yeah. Lucky he didn't get his butt whooped. Yeah, seriously. Kid, oh, I guarantee you, I wouldn't. My, my teachers used to give me, my, my eighth grade basketball coach one time, I was goofing around in class, and I deserved a, a swat on the bottom, and we were turning the lights on and off during class, just being absolute knuckleheads yeah. like a lot of eighth graders do. And so we went out in the hallway, and he said, uh, Danny, do you want to uh, get a swat right here, or do you want me to call your dad? I said, I just bent right over. I didn't even answer the question. I just bent over. I'm like, here we go. You know what? Because your, your parents, you were more right fearful here. of what your dad would do if you uh, disobeyed authority than what whoever it was your coach was going to do to you. So just a different time, different era. Right. But Spikes Dykes was definitely old school. I can't see him getting away with leaving a player on the side of the road, a high school player in the uh, middle, middle of Dublin, Eastland area, doing that today at all. No, it's impressive about those coaches that last so many years, though, is because, you know, kids change. I mean, every, what, generation, what is it, 10 to 15 so years or whatever. Yeah. So you go through like three or four different generations of kids, and kids are very different from generation to generation. I mean, you know, you and I are at that age now where we look at, at kids and go, ah, kids these days, you know. But to be able to be a coach and be able to connect with kids from multiple generations over the course of a 50-year career, I mean, that's that's hard to do. That's why most guys don't do it. Yeah. You know? Eventually, you just can't connect with that that the youth anymore you can't they don't listen to you and you have to give it up so that's pretty impressive well another great story i thought that was told that really talks to the character of spike dykes was he had a star player at texas tech who was uh failing some classes no had missed two study halls was getting ready to fail a class had missed two study halls and he said "Uh, you're not going to play this week so when they found that out his uh coordinator uh, found out he wasn't going to have a star player so he says hey you stay down here i'm gonna go talk to spike dykes i'm gonna talk coach dykes i'm gonna get you back on the field so sure enough, he goes and uh, the coordinator goes up and the assistant coach talks to Spike Dykes and says, hey, uh, we got to have this player this week. You know, he just missed two study halls. That's, you know, he, that's all he did. Spike Dykes uh, turned around and said, uh, just missed two study halls, huh? He goes, were you sitting in the home talking to that boy's mama, telling him you're going to take care of this kid, that he's going to get an education? Are you the one that was sitting there promising him that? He said, uh, no, sir. He goes, well, you tell him to go back downstairs. You tell him he ain't going to play. So the coordinator went back down there and said, hey, you're not going to play. <laughs> I love that story. It speaks to the character that you're really yeah, trying to build. You know, yeah, sports is important. I don't think that happens near as much uh, no. as, as it should. It probably exactly. happens more than we think. But that's a yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, are you were you the one sitting in the boy in the boy's house talking to his mama, telling him you're going to take care of him, the promise that when you when you recruited him? I don't think so. I just love that uh, the way <laughs> the people thought then, and it's really really true. And I think it's one of the things we can talk about here on Docs and Jocks. Is sports is really, really important, but I tell, like I tell my child all the time who plays, uh, I, I told my girls who played volleyball, my son who plays multiple sports, I said, uh, I want to make you a great athlete, and I want you to be a great athlete, and we give you that opportunity, but my role on earth is not to make you a great athlete, my role on earth as a father is to make you a man of character, a woman of character. So we, let's don't get those things confused, because sports is a great tool to teach those things, but it is not the end-all, be-all. I am not out here to make you a great athlete, I'm really here on planet earth to try and help you be a man of character, a woman of character. I think we lose that sometimes. Spike Dykes understood that, and I think it's one of the reasons that the kids respect him so much, coaches respect him so much. And if you knew that story and you were sending your kid to Texas Tech, didn't you feel a little bit more comfortable that your kid was going to be taken care of, that he was going to keep his word? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, and that's huge. A lot of parents, uh, that, that matters to them, you know? So yeah. yeah, Spike, you know, I got to know Spike through you guys. Cause obviously out here in Arizona, um, I knew of him, but I didn't know of, you know, didn't know him yeah. very well, but you know, just having him on and interviewed him. I'm glad we're playing that interview later. I mean, just what a, what a great guy catching up with those guys, those old timers, as we call them. Yeah. I mean, they just, they just have the different worldview and they've kept it and it's, they've been successful with that worldview. And it's, it's one that, you know, it, it, it's got a place here in this day and age, too. So it's really cool to hear from those guys. Absolutely. Hey, if you want to go back and listen to some of those interviews we've done with Gene Stallings, um, we've done, uh, who else, Ferris, Jimmy Keeling. Uh, we did Raymond Berry. I mean, some of those coaches. Oh, yeah, for, for baseball, Bobby Brown. Bobby Brown, yeah. Those are some of the greatest interviews we've ever had. You can go to docsandjocks.com and uh, pull up that, those interviews, or you can go to our iTunes app, Docs and Jocks. Hey, we'll be right back with our second segment here on Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show, after this short commercial break. Hey, welcome back to Dr. Jock. Ferris sitting in for Dr. Danny. He had to check and uh, see if he won an award. Yes, we did. Yes. And by the way, we won it here at D1 Athlete. My <laughs> group won win? it. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. We went there from you uh, go. There you our go. time of 12 minutes to 23 minutes the next one. Uh, so, yes. So, anyway, hey, welcome As back. we're getting ready to start this segment, <laughs> Dr. Dan's like, I have got to go see if my team won. Are you, are you, would you consider yourself extremely competitive, average competitive, or non-competitive, Dr. Oh, Dan? I don't think any of those really uh, tell you how competitive I am. I don't know what, what's, what's above extreme. Is that, a, is that an addict or something? I don't know what that is, but, yeah. You're I'm, a competition addict. I yes, like that. Yeah, so, yeah. I just enjoy it, man. I, you know, growing up with the, all brothers and the youngest in the family, man, it was always a, everything was a competition to me, so I enjoy it. <laughs> it isn't even seen as a competition. It's just seen as true enjoyment, so I I think that's why I've always been attracted to sports at any level, whether it's high school or college or professional, whatever. I just enjoy those those competitive moments. So you lose it when you start getting older. Nobody wants to be competitive anymore. All your friends are like, "Oh, we don't." Well, do that. and like, in this what? day and age, people look at you weird if you're yes, competitive. They're yeah. like, Hey, tone it down. It's I like, know, why what? don't you tone it down? Yeah. Can't I, can't, why don't you? You want to you tone it up, pal. That's it's it's almost like when people say, uh, "Don't be competitive." To me, I'm, I feel like they're saying, "Don't try your hardest." That's what it feels like to me. I don't know. If I'm going to try my hardest or try my best, I don't put anybody else down. I just want to do my best, right? That- well, and don't be competitive or words you'll never hear from, like, the guys we have on the show today, from for, guys like Mark yeah. Cuban, from guys like Jerry Jones, from guys like LeBron James, from guys yeah. like yeah. Tony Rome. Frank Beltran has been on the show. you hear them say, hey, tone it down. Don't be so competitive. Yeah. You, <laughs> you know, know what I found out that was really truly a trait among the really good athletes was we have a guy here that works out with us, Frank Beltray, who's now with the New York Jets. But Frank is about 240 pounds, six foot three. He just built like a Greek god. He just he just is. He's a he's an NFL linebacker. Yeah, Frank is. So he was uh, trying to get picked up by an NFL team. So he's playing. He's, he's working out like twice a day while well, we play this game out here called ultimate football and when you do ultimate football you have these two tires on the ends of this big field 30 yard field we have and you've got to try and you can't run with the ball you have to try and drop it in the uh tire by passing it to your teammates you're constantly trying to catch it and drop it and and you're playing football well he's playing it with a bunch of 13 14 15 year old boys this is a a nfl linebacker he didn't tone it down (laughs) one iota man my son's out there and caleb at the time was about 14 years old and he just gets trucked by frank and i'm like oh man that's a good way to learn a lesson and he comes back he goes hey hey frank's playing frank's playing for real i said caleb Frank is an NFL <laughs> linebacker. Do you think he got there by being soft? No, man. He's playing his absolute hardest. Here's a good – we use it as a uh, learn, you know, learning lesson to say, hey, there is our time and a place. You always try and do your best. Don't try and just tone it down because others around you are afraid to be competitive or whatever, but do your very best. And Frank's best just happened to be really, really good. So 
Yeah. Yeah. You know, with what we're doing, with you being a sports physician at Texas Sports and Spine with around all these great athletes, with docs and jocks interviewing all these great athletes and coaches with me at GCU, the, the guys who rise to the top in, in really any field are very competitive. Many of the best guys have found a way to be competitive, but still be a nice guy too. But, but you know, cause they're not mutually exclusive. People no, think they are. Hey, you know, yeah. you hear that? Hey, tone it down. Don't be a jerk. It's like, well, I'm not a jerk. If I just want to pound the opponent into submission, like that's like the goal of the game. Right. Yeah. But I noticed that with that, like, like coach Marley, you know, he's a head coach at GC Dan Marley, my favorite player, one of the, the NBA most competitive up. guys yeah. I've ever met. And you know, it's funny because I was sitting on I was sitting on the, the the press row during a practice and I was typing some stuff up, you know. And Dan Marley had a basketball and and he and he had made a bet with one of the other coaches about some trivia thing and I knew he was right, so I kept my mouth shut and the kid's like, "No, you're wrong, you're wrong." And so he said, "Okay, it's a bet, 20 bucks. Great." And so he looks at me and he goes, he goes, "Potter, am I right?" And I go, "Yeah, you're right. It was that." And the other coach Chris goes, "Oh, yeah, he was right, whatever." Dan goes, "Hey, half court shot, double or nothing." <laughs> and then Kreb goes, Kreb goes, "Okay." And he missed it. Barely. Because, oh, I thought I had that. I thought I had that. And I, and I said, uh, oh, no, he goes, double or nothing. And I go, you want to take that bet, Kreb? And Marley looked at me. He goes, he goes, oh, you think so? And I go, yeah, absolutely. And he shot it, and he missed it. And he looked at me, and I just kind of shrugged like that. And he goes, all right, Potter, me and you, 50 bucks, one more <laughs> shot. I said, absolutely not. He goes, because you know I'll make it. And I go, yeah, I know. He'll make it this time. And, uh, but that's how competitive he was. He was uh -huh. ticked off that he missed yes. a half-court shot for a Because I told him he'd probably miss it, you know? And he's like, let's go, Potter, me and you. I'm like, nope, nope, I'm out, man. He goes, yeah, you know I'll make it. I'm like, yeah, you would make it this time. I'm done. Yeah, you, I'll but tell you something what. something like that in the middle of the day. He's just so competitive. I man. call it internal fire. We always feel like, you know, you want to do your best, and you feel like you got that inside of you. I watched a, a, a fact hawk, our producer, sent us that Josh Donaldson video where he's talking about hitting. And Josh Donaldson said, there came a point where I just had to learn it on my own. I felt like what I was being taught wasn't exactly the way. So he talks about the swing mechanics, rhythm, and timing, and all the common things you talk about in hitting. But I thought it was really interesting. During a mechanics talk, he stops halfway through, and he goes, when I walk on a field, I'm the alpha male lion. When I walk on the field, all the other lions walk away. That's my mindset. And then he went back into talking about mechanics again. It was just immediately went from mechanics to my mindset to mechanics. And I don't think you separate them. Yeah, Josh Donaldson. He goes, when I walk on the field, I'm an alpha male lion. I walk up to the yeah. kill. Everybody else walks away. <laughs> so he says, that's the way I feel when I you walk on a baseball field. Right? Yeah, that's the mentality you, that Dan Marlis and Josh Donaldson have. I know we're digressing into this, and we started off kind of you know, joking about it, but I think it really is a, 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 it's a mental health type of a thing here because I think sometimes in our day and age, and I don't want to get all political and all this stuff, but it, you know, the joke that we made before that people say, hey, tone it down, tone it down. You know, that that is kind of invading into some kids. It, does, does Caleb find it difficult sometimes? I mean, it's sometimes the thing of like, hey, be a good sport, be nice. All those things are true, but do you ever see that coming at the detriment in younger players of being less competitive? Like, is there pressure to not be as competitive for a younger player like that? In or, is, or am I not? Yes, I think so. I, it's mainly when you do things where you're playing with a large group of people at, at, at a level where the talent levels don't, always match up. So what I'm talking about is I don't see that as much when you start talking about select baseball or USA baseball or Under Armour All-America games. Those kids have all been selected off a pretty pretty large scale to be the, the talent level that's very equal. Now you take that same group, move them back five years, and they're in Little League where you've got some really, really talented kids, some kids who've never played, some people who you know are, are really have a hard time with athletics, and now you mix and match them. That's where it sometimes uh, you'll find coaches and teams, if you're really aggressive, 
as, as a baseball player, you're stealing a lot of bases. You're always always hustling. Sometimes that's perceived as coming off as trying to show up those other kids, whereas all you're trying to do is be your best. So, yeah, in this day and time where everybody gets a trophy for participation, that's where I see it at. Not really at the upper levels where people are trying to really try and go to the next level. Those kids are all super athletic and super uh, – uh, what's the word? Competitive, I guess I would say. Yeah, the reason I asked, and I want to ask you a question about that too in a second. The reason I asked is because I think it was Mark Few. There was a game, I think it was Gonzaga. I might have the coaching wrong, but you know, this is the top level of, of college sports. It's D1 athletics, and they were beating somebody really bad, and at the very end of the game, one of the kids from their team stole the ball, and instead of dribbling out, went down and slammed it home. Mm-hmm. And yeah. people were in an uproar about that. And, and Mark Few, I think it was Few, I might have the coach, one of the coach made that kid call the other coach and apologize for doing that. And I'm like, it really? Like, you're at D1 level. I get it. You don't want to show him up. But this is a kid who, he just came in the game and instincts took over. I don't know. I, I'm the type, I'm like, hey, when you get to that level, if you beat somebody by 40, that's on the other team. That ain't on you. That's I don't what like I've never understood. That if you're, you know, yeah, that's the part I agree with you on. I don't understand why when you're playing well, that suddenly you are seen as the one that has to come down to the other levels, other teams' level. Why isn't it expected that the team who is below you that's getting beat, why is it not on them to try and come up to your level? I mean, if you practice hard enough, if you work hard enough, you can get as good as your competition, right? And that's the whole goal. I don't know why we have a mentality that we play down to the other team's level, and that is acceptable, but having the other team say you have to come up to the other to your competitors level and come up shouldn't be just as much expected as the opposite it's very hard too i think it's hard especially in a sport like let's take baseball where if you tell your team to cool the jets maybe you tell them you're not swinging hard anymore you're not going to run aggressive it in my opinion in my experience is very difficult to turn that on and off if you turn it off it stays off for a long while. If you stop being aggressive yeah. at the plate, if you stop running the bases aggressive, the next time when you need it and you haven't done it in a while, it is very difficult to turn that on. So, in my opinion, play hard, play aggressive. I understand what you're saying. Maybe you don't. Maybe you know you're up by ten runs and you're not going to steal second base. I get that. But if you're up by ten runs and you hit a single in the gap and you might be able to turn it into a double, I say turn it into a double. Yeah. Because that's just being aggressive base running. So I don't know. There's a fine line there where you don't want to disrespect your team, but at the same time, you don't want to disrespect your team by not playing hard and not being able to turn it back on the next game when you're needing it. Yeah, and I think that's disrespectful to the other team, too. I mean, if I was a coach on the other team, I'd be like, oh, so you're going to – we're yeah, so bad. You we're so bad. Coast, you know? You had to call and um, apologize to me. Here's what I wanted to ask you. So so Grand Canyon was playing U of A. U of A's baseball ranked, I think, number seven in the country. They're really good this year. Sure. So we played them down there, close game. You know, they got away from us at the end. Up here, we're playing them, and they kind of had control of the game the whole way, but it was close, and then they busted it open. And so it's a 7-2 ball game, and I think the seventh inning. So 7-2, you had that five run. Close, yeah. They're in control, but it's still close enough. But they were still stealing, and I thought, I wonder if anybody has a problem with this. I personally don't have a problem with it at all because I've seen teams reel off eight, Absolutely. nine, ten runs yeah. in an inning, you know? Yeah. But but they were very aggressive. They were arguing balls and strikes some. They were screaming when our guy, you know, balked. Hey, that's a balk, you know, and stuff. Yeah. They were, yeah, cheering and everything. I, I wonder if it turned off some of our fans. I didn't hear if it did, but it was close to that edge of, you know, points. But I loved it. I was like, yeah. man, keep the pedal to the metal. Yeah, no, I, mean, I have absolutely no problem. Playing your game. Because college baseball, too, five-run lead in a college baseball game and probably the equivalent of about a two- or three-run lead in a professional game, that's very, very doable. 
So, you know, I think the, playing hard when you're five-run lead, I don't know what the line is. I don't know if it's ten runs or where you start saying, hey, maybe not take the extra base on a base hit or something like that. But I, I don't know. I just love play, players playing hard. And when you're at University of Arizona, I mean, you're going to be playing the next week. You know, you're playing Grand Canyon this week. Probably going to be playing, I don't know. USC, USC UCLA. Yeah, ASU. Arizona State. So <laughs> turning it off against one school Oregon and then State, expecting yourself yeah. to turn it on against Oregon State. I mean, come on. That's just tough to do. So I, I, I think that's great. I think that coach was trying to keep him mentally strong, mentally sharp. Hey, this is part of this is part of this conversation. But I don't know if you saw in the game uh, earlier this week, uh, Ryan Healy, who's a really, really good player for the Oakland A's, um, young player though. He came up against the Royals, and I think it was Vargas was pitching for KC. And I heard the announcers talking about it. I want to find the clip. I guess he threw inside. He was trying to throw tight on the plate, and he buzzed him a little bit, you know. So Healy thought it was too tight and he stared out at the pitcher and Eric Hosmer at first base basically yelled at him and said, Hey, don't look at my pitcher. Get your butt back in the batter's box. <laughs> wow. I loved it. I, loved it. I was oh, like, wow. they're gonna go before this series is over. And I was like, I loved it. I I, yeah. I don't know. That's old school baseball yeah. to me. He didn't hit him. He threw inside and some young guy's gonna look out and Hosmer's like, No, no, you're not looking at my pitcher on that. Oh, stuff, that's man. the alpha male lion right earn. there. Eric Hosmer was the alpha male yeah. lion. Yeah, don't look at my yep. pitcher. I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> Yep, that's cool. I like I like that old school baseball. So, hey, speaking of guys who uh, really have a uh, young up and coming, uh, what do they call it, swag about them. Cam Newton, uh, you know, obviously Carolina Panthers. who took him to the Super Bowl uh, game two years ago. He underwent shoulder surgery, Ferris. I don't know if you heard about this, but it has not been released yeah. as to what type of surgery. They've been pretty quiet about what actually was done, and uh, so. The uh, only thing I could say about it was, and this uh, David Chow, who's a great doctor out of the uh, San Diego area, was commenting on this as well. He didn't have a sling on on his first press conference. So if you had a rotator cuff tear and you had a repair done, in other words, the rotator cuff muscles are a group of four muscles that overlap the ball of your shoulder that stabilize it when, it's, when it moves. That's why it's called the rotator cuff. It, uh, those muscles, if they're torn, when you sew them back together and repair them, you have to then let the muscles uh, heal fully before you go back and use it. So oftentimes you'll be in a sling for a few days. This time, though, he had no sling immediately after surgery, which tells me he probably went in there and had a debridement or a clean-out procedure. Sometimes you'll get uh, a little bone spur on the tip of your roof of your shoulder that rubs the rotator cuff, and you go in and you clean that out. It's called an acromioplasty. But that's the type of surgery he most likely had. I doubt that he had a rotator cuff tear repair given the fact that he wasn't wearing a sling. That's just all opinion. But that also means that he'll be likely come back sooner than later and be ready for the season, hopefully. Why would they not announce that? Uh, I don't just, know. I mean, I don't really know exactly why you don't tell what type of surgery he has. Maybe it's his personal preference. Maybe you don't want him to know exactly if he's going to be ready for the season. Maybe you don't know, so you don't say. You know, it's really nobody's business except Cam Newton. You and I have talked about this a lot. You know, why does it always have to be reported exactly what it is? But they did report that he had shoulder injury. He's on the injured reserve. He's going to be, you know, uh, questionable for the start of the season. But given the fact that he wasn't wearing a sling and he's back pretty quick, I think he'll be back for the start of the season. So. That'll be good news for them. Yeah, it's interesting because I think they said he nursed it all last year and they didn't mention everybody's like, man, Cam Newton stinks this year. And it's it's like we talk about all the time on this show. I mean, we focus on sports injuries. You know, you don't have to have a even this they eventually needed surgery, but he played through it all year. Man, if you just aren't 100 percent, it's so interesting to see guys like Albert Pools when he signed that big deal with the Angels. He was horrible for years and he was just never healthy. It was plantar fasciitis or it was a shoulder or a back. He finally was was pretty healthy last year and he had like 40 bombs yeah you know it's right just, it's amazing how much better you are 
when you you're feel healthy, good. When you I feel mean, good, just really feel good. Yeah, and these these professional athletes, when they're ninety eight percent well, that's not good enough for them. I just I've been around enough of them that they want the hundred percent. They don't want to be down the two percent because that's what makes them great. Hey, when we come back, we're going to have on uh, Coach Spike Dykes, who passed away this week. We did an interview we did with him previously. He's going to carry that interview through to another segment. Then uh, Ferris, our, my co-host, and I will be back after that interview talking about uh, Spike Dykes a little bit more. Also, stay tuned. We're going to do the mental minute with lovely Miss Tracy Munn from the Edge Mental Strength. You're listening to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. We'll be right back. Being an athlete requires dedication, determination, and lots of hard work. Many times, athletes have to sacrifice to reach their goals and become successful. But what if someone isn't an elite athlete or doesn't consider themselves an athlete at all? Many adults find themselves in a place where they have focused their lives on their jobs and family and have found that they have given little thought to working out or an exercise routine. They may find themselves in a place in their lives where they are out of shape, overweight, or maybe even experiencing health problems. These adults, although their goals may be different, need to be as dedicated and determined as elite athletes training for a big competition. They need to put in lots of hard work and create lifestyle changes that will help them reach their goals. Here at The Edge Mental Strength Training, we work with people of all ages and stages to help them realize how to reach these goals. Learning how to develop a plan for getting healthy and making changes can be overwhelming and scary. We love to help people learn how to set and reach these goals. If you would like to learn more about how we can help, you can contact us at The Edge Mental Strength Training by clicking on our link at docsandjocks.com. Hey, you're listening to Docs and Jocks Sports Medicine Radio Show. My name is Dr. Dan. We're coming to you live from inside D1 Abilene. Hey, thanks for listening. If you're just driving home after a long week of work this week, hey, thanks for listening to Docs and Jocks, getting your sports medicine update. I'm joined each week by my co-host, Ferris Potter, out in sunny Phoenix, Arizona, and the lovely Miss Vicky. So, hey, guys, uh, we have one of our special guests on. If you're wondering what that intro music was, that was the Ballinger Bearcat fight song, by the way. So, and the reason we're doing that is we are we are honored to have on Coach Spike Dykes. Coach Dykes needs no introduction in the Big Country area. All of us here in Abilene, in the Big Country, West Texas, uh, uh, know and uh, just uh, we love Coach Spike Dykes, who was uh, 16 years a coach at Texas Tech, led them to an 82, 67, and one career record. When the, he is the winningest coach in Texas Tech football history, all kinds of honors. Uh, Southwest Conference Coach of the Year three times. Uh, one more conference, Southwest Conference Big 12 games than anybody in Texas Tech history. I could go on and on and on, but Coach Spike Dykes, we are so glad you're here with us. Thanks for being on Docs and Jocks. Well, thanks, Doc. I'm flattered. I'm I'm glad to be on. Hey, did you enjoy the uh, Ballinger Bearcat? Did you recognize your fight song from where well, you? Did I ever? I imagine some things you never forget. You know, Bearcat and Ballinger will it will always be a very very special place in my heart. What well, a great place to grow up. What a great place to you know go to high school and be able to. Have friends forever, and it's been it's been a lot of fun. Hey, the really re- nice. well, thank. You. And the reason we had that on there was if that is our birthday present to you. This is your seventy sixth birthday. Do I have that right? <laughs> you got it right. All right, <laughs> that is great. We, 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 I saw some uh, pictures of you recently. You were accepting award. I think it was uh, the uh, Texas Tech Hero of the Year award recently, and uh, you look great. Tell our listening audience how at seventy six you're still traveling the country, doing great things. Uh, how do you stay in such good shape and look so young? How does that? How do you do that? Uh, Doc, that depends on who you talk to, you know. The, uh, no, I, I think, uh, you know, just go a day at a time and and get up and get after it every day and have a good time and enjoy it. And I've been very fortunate. You know, my health's been pretty good. So, you know, I'm, I wanted to – I feel blessed. I really do. I feel, uh, you know, my whole life sort of been – I just part, sort of followed into good things. And, you know, I moved to Ballinger and, and – Bowser was a great place to grow up. Had the very best school teachers in the world, very best school in the world. 
all those good friends. And the big country has always been, you know, dear and dear to my heart. And I coasted, I coached in Ballinger and San Angelo and Midland Lee and Big Spring. And, yeah. You know, so I've been out there forever. And, and I, it's always just been home to me. Well, you still have a ton of uh, In the coaching world, I know it's a tight network, but I was standing at uh, ACU's Pro Day here at D1 Abilene. We had several of our uh, D1 athletes go out for ACU Pro Day, and they were uh, – and I was watching them do that, and I was standing next to a gentleman, uh, Coach Griffin, and uh, I'm sometimes called the Walmart greeter, so I talk to everybody I, I run into. <laughs> and uh, Coach Griffin was standing there, and I started talking to him, and uh, your name came up, and then next thing you know, I'm talking to Coach uh, Jimmy Keeling, and your name came up. So you have a ton of uh, coaching network guys that have uh, played with you, have uh, coached with you, or consider you uh, their good friend. So uh, all of those guys have told me to tell you hi, Coach Griffin and Coach Keeling especially. So, uh, well, I appreciate that. They're their friends, and we go back. You know, we go back a long, long way, Doc. Uh, I guess friendships mean more to you the older you get. You know, there's lasting friendships and there's yeah. there's uh, sort of light friendships. And I've been very fortunate to have a lot of lasting friendships. The the coaching profession is a you know it's a little fraternity, uh-huh. and uh, for whatever reason, I guess because everybody sort of goes through the same thing. Uh, you, you know, you but you get a network of friends that are that are near and dear to your heart and extremely loyal you know loyalty yeah. is a big word in athletics and and coaches are loyal people yeah and hey. uh so it's been it's been a lot of fun i've enjoyed it hey I, I was just talking to you speaking of coaches a young coach here in the big country area his name is coach jesse burleson he took over for coach jimmy keeling at hardin simmons university coach keeling was there for over 20 years obviously a legendary coach both at the high sure. school and the college level but coach jesse burleson one of his players who uh, also played uh, offensive line, as you did at Ballinger and then at Stephen F. Austin, he was telling me that Coach Keeling every year would have uh, the Spike Dykes rules of coaching. He would put them, post them up on the wall. So speaking, speaking of coaching, uh, I wanted to go ahead and repeat number one because it was really important because you refer back to it at number 20. And uh, Coach Keeling would put this up on the wall. It was said, if you don't like it, rule number one, if you don't like it, just leave. Don't bitch, just leave. Rule number 20, refer, refer back to rule number one. <laughs> I love that rule, Coach. So, uh, yeah, it's amazing how uh, coaching, uh, how you have these great rules. I, I don't know the other 18 in between there. It doesn't matter. But yet. it doesn't matter. Rule number one is awesome. Well, you know, that's really the way it is. I mean, the, the, uh, can you imagine people in this country complaining all the time? Uh, I mean, we've got it so good yeah. And yeah. on every front. And you can, you can dig up all the bad you want to, but it's, it's all good. We got people complain every day about taxes and about this and about that and about this and my lord, we're so blessed it's not even funny. And I think that's one of the things that you know, I think that's one of the things that you learn when you you know, when you develop a team that that together, you know, everybody achieves more and that's old T E A M which is sorta of corny, but it really is true. And uh you know, complainers and, and dissenters, all they do is cause chaos and and uh, and I really still today believe that's probably the most important rule of all. We need coach more coach Spike Dykes. I do. I'm going to put that world. up in my office. Absolutely, <laughs> yes, yeah. Okay, that's good for Texas Sports Spy. Forget the coaching field for a second. Yeah, in my office. So, hey, we have a caller. We are a live call and talk radio show here, Coach. So we have a Texas Tech fan on the line. If you don't mind, we're going to take a uh, call here real quick and see get his question, and we go back here to our interview go. here. So, hey, uh, Tim, you're on with uh, Coach Spike Dykes. Do you have a question for the coach? Uh, yeah, actually, I got a question and a comment. Uh, I just want to thank uh, Coach Dykes. I, I lived in Midland when I was a little boy, and um, he actually got me loving high school football. Midland uh, League, back yeah. Coaching Midland League, and uh, I used to go watch uh, 
guys like Tyrone Thurman and, and Isaac Garnett play when he was a coach there, and, and that was that was great times. Um, but also, uh, current, I, I just wanted to get the coach's thoughts on uh, a guy that he recruited uh, and is now coaching at Texas Tech, uh, Cliff Kingsbury. Seems to have, have things headed in the right direction up there. What do you think, Coach? Oh, I think Cliff is a great, great choice. You know, Cliff is one of the most competitive people I've ever known in my life. Uh, he came from a great family. His father was a coach. His brother was an athlete. Uh, very, very well disciplined. And you know, Cliff was Cliff was really an overachiever. I mean, he was he had a lot of ability, but he didn't have as much ability as he professed because he became a great, great record-setting college football player. And he did it because of hard work and dedication. And, you know, Cliff pays attention to the little things. He he always uh, – <laughs> I'll tell you a funny story quickly yeah. about Cliff. We're playing Oklahoma the last game I'm coaching at Texas Tech. And we're Rob Peters, our starting quarterback, starts. So we have to start Cliff, who's a redshirt freshman. And we're playing Oklahoma. It's a half. We're down 28 to 10. And we're going in. Somebody runs up behind me and passes me on the rear. And there's breaks my neck and I turn around it's Cliff he said don't worry coach we got him right where we want him <laughs> and we came back and beat him 38-28 and you know that's, that's what he thought was going to happen and it's, so he uh, now I think Cliff I think Cliff is great I think he's great I think he, what Cliff did the very best thing he did he hired a great coaching staff he hired a bunch of guys that really want to be there and I think the future's bright I think it's going to be a lot of fun I think it's going to be you know I think it, the program is in excellent hands and it will be better than it's ever been in the history of, of Texas Tech. And you, and you know, it uh, seems like uh, coaches nowadays and a lot of great players seem like they all come from Texas, including your son, uh, Sonny, but uh, Coach King uh, Kingsbury's from, I think he's from New Bronzeville's. Yeah, but, but that's right. He's from New Bronzeville. His dad was a high school football coach in New Bronzeville. Seems like that happens a lot. The same with uh, your son who goes on to become a great coach as well. So, uh, When you look at uh, the West Texas area, though, you're from Ballinger. I mean, we got so many great coaches that come from this area, and now we have so much great talent. Seem like quarterbacks here recently were like a quarterback uh, highway to the uh, NCAA Division One college football level. What do you think it is about uh, Texas, especially West Texas uh, specifically, that is produce- producing such great talent and coaches and football players coming from this area? Well, I think that, uh, you know, and this is a little bit corny probably, but football is so important in towns like Ballinger in West Texas. That it's, you know, it's about the only game in town. And, and then basketball season, basketball, I don't mean that, but the high schools in these towns, uh, everybody sort of circles around those yeah, high schools. Right. And I'm not sure it's that way in metroplexes, you know, where they have yeah. – uh, you know where they have so many other activities they can do, and right. and uh, the the hallmark of all of the towns I've ever lived in in West Texas was really the school, yep. and everything revolved around the school. If it's a one act play, if it's a band concert, if it's a football game, and and I think that enhances people uh, to uh, you know to to really be a part of the school and be, yeah. be a part of the athletics and. And you know the population centers now. The the uh, the real real great uh, population centers in in these suburbs of these big cities is you know they're, they're it's unbelievable what they have and all the facilities they have and oh, all that. Multi million dollar stadiums now in high school. Oh, it is. It's it's awesome. But still, the you know the key to it is uh, the key to it is that they used to say. If you're going to rob a bank, the time to rob a bank in a town in West Texas is go on Friday night because if we're playing out of town, nobody's in town. 
That's right. And uh, there's a lot of truth in that. That's what I can say is that, you know, it means a lot to a lot of people. It is uh, sort of their hallmark uh, banner that they carry, and, uh, and it's, it's, you know, really makes it, makes it special. Yeah, sure does. Absolutely. Uh, Ferris, I think you had a question. Yeah, hey, Coach, you had a phenomenal career, 40-plus year coaching career. When, when did you know you wanted to be a football coach? Is that something you always wanted to do growing up? Well, you know, I had great high school coaches. And uh, Doug Cox, who went to McMurray, and he coached at McMurray. You know, he was my high school head coach. And Bill Scoggins was an assistant. And those guys had so much fun. Their life was so joyous. They had, uh, you know, they were the inspiration to all of us. And I thought, God, if you get paid that much for that, boy, they made about $3,000 a year. I thought they were rich, you know. <laughs> if you get paid that much for having fun every day, there's got to be a lot to it. Yeah. And, you know, I, I just sort of always wanted to do it after I saw the way they lived. And, and uh, you know, school business is great. I, I And this is not any old cliche, but... I mean, we were so blessed in Ballinger. The, we have the finest teachers in the world. I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about just in little school. We had we had great, great, great teachers, and school spirit was big. And it, you know, it's just it was a great way to spend your life. I mean, golly, I felt like you know that you have to back up to the pay window because you get paid <laughs> to do something you really, really love and something you enjoy. And uh, so it was never it was never a decision. I don't know when I decided, but it's just always sort of what I thought I was going to do after after playing for those guys in high school. Hey, we're listening, we're talking to uh, Coach Spike Dykes here. If you just join us on Docs and Jocks, uh, lovely Miss Vicky, you had a question for Coach. I do. Um, hey, Coach, this is Vicky, and I wanted to uh, ask you a quick question. Of all the games that you've been in, especially your bowl games and your conference games. Do you have any, and you're a gracious gentleman, and, and you're, you're from Texas, so you're, you're a great guy. But I wondered if there were some instances where maybe things were going awry and you got a little upset. Do you have any good stories about those that maybe you could share no, with us? No coach ever gets upset about this, Vicky. That never Vicky, happens. Vicky, I don't know if I can tell you those on the, on the radio. Hey, refer back to rule number one. <laughs> you know, the, the peaks and valleys are, are amazing, and, and – you brought out a good point because without any valleys, you, you you have very few peaks usually. And you know, there's there's uh, golly, we've lost some football games. You know, I'll tell you the the worst experience I ever had in coaching is we finally made it to the Cotton Bowl at Texas Tech, and we uh, we played Southern Cal, and Southern Cal had a mediocre team for them. They had about five. Of, Six great college uh, pro prospects on that team. Later, played the NFL for years and years. But they'd had a frustrating season, so we played them in the Cotton Bowl. And I never saw kids work any harder. I never saw a, a school so excited. And we go to the Cotton Bowl. And by the end of the first quarter, it's about 21 to nothing in favor of Southern Cal. It was the absolute longest, longest afternoon that I've ever spent. It was the most <laughs> embarrassed that I've ever been because – our team didn't play well. Yeah. And, you know, if you're the coach and you don't play well, you know, the buck starts right there. And uh, that's something that I don't know if I'll ever get over that because it was really a chance to really put our best foot forward. And, and we, you know, we, and it wasn't the fact that we didn't try. We tried. We, worked, we probably tried too hard. But everything we did stunk it up, and everything they did just seemed to work. And, and uh and you know those those are things that really do test your uh, I don't know that they really test Character. your fortitude I guess you say yeah. they, they, you know you just 
golly, it just killed us. But anyway, that's that's part of the game, you know. If you're afraid to lose, don't play. Yep. And uh, that's the, uh, you know, that's what we always told anybody. If you're ever going to succeed, you have to take chances. And if you're always afraid of losing, well, then you know it's not worth it. That's right. And uh, so that happens. But that's the worst experience I ever had. That and and one year I coached in Kahoma, and we had a great football team. We had the best team in the state. And, of course, I screwed them up, and we went up and played White Deer, and they had a foxy old coach named Coley Huffman, and he outcoached me so bad it wasn't even funny. At the end of the day, you know, we had the best team in the state. We lost in the semifinals, and, and uh, you know, the rest of that was history. So I've had some I've had some real humbling moments in, the, in this profession before, but, you know, I wouldn't trade anything for it. Welcome back to Docs and Jocks. This is Dr. Dan coming to you inside Docs and Jocks Radio Studio. If you're just catching our show for the first time, glad to have you as part of our sports entertainment show here that with the sports medicine niche. Hey, you can always find out about Docs and Jocks by going to docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com. Do want to say our sp- thank you to our sponsors, Abilene Sports Medicine and Orthopedics. Couldn't do our show here without our wonderful sponsors like that and uh, uh, Sylvan Learning Center. Couldn't do our show without our wonderful sponsors. Hey, we, they, we are bringing you a second half of a Spike Dykes interview we did back on his 77th birthday. And uh, we'll just do that, and then we'll catch more of our sports entertainment, sports medicine show, Docs and Jocks, after we finish the second half of our Spike Dykes interview. Well, Coach, I've asked this question to a lot of the great coaches we've had here on uh, Docs and Jocks. Most recently, we had uh, Coach W.T. Stapler, and we've had Coach Jimmy Keelings, one of our favorites, and Robert Starr. But I was going to ask you the same question. If you were talking to a young gentleman who's maybe coming out of high school or college, and he's thinking about going into the uh, coaching field. What would be your piece of advice for that young gentleman as uh, after doing this for the last uh, nearly 40 years? What would you be a piece of advice you'd give that young gentleman? Have fun. Uh, go someplace where you have fun. If you can't have fun, don't do it. Uh, I would say uh, sort of decide what your niche would going to be. You're not going to start out as the head coach of the Green Bay Packers. So you got to have some humility. And, you know, I would say when you start your coaching, start under a good coach, get you a, go to work for, for somebody that really, a, a Jimmy King, W.T. Stapler type person that you can learn from. And, you know, you can, you'll can you be a better coach every day around those people, I think. I was very, very, very fortunate. I had a chance to work for Emory Ballard, and I had a chance to work for Bob Wright. I mean, I had a chance to work for Darrell Royal. I had a chance to work for a lot of really good football coaches, and you know that's the key. I mean, they they I, when you see those guys doing what they did, and the way they did it, and how well they did it, uh, you know, it opens a lot of locks for you. It's the key to a lot of locks because they just have a way of doing it. And you take people like W. T. Stapler and like Jamie Keeling and, that you mentioned. I mean, those guys have been around a long time and. You don't stay around in the, in the you know, the, like they did, that magnitude, unless you have so much to offer. You can't copy people. you got to be yourself. But you sure can copy some ideas, and that's what my advice would be. Uh, it's sort of like the first deal on the, on the policy, on the coaching policy. You know, if you're not really – you're not going to be a very good coach and be father of the year. Yeah, because you know you, you're not going to be at every birthday party because you're going to have a volleyball game or you're going to have a football game or you're going to have a track meet. Uh, you know, uh, yeah. 
my son played for the state championship. I was coaching in New Mexico, and he was a quarterback at Sandia High School, and I played for the state championship, and I was in Corpus Christi recruiting. Oh, my goodness. Wow. And my daughter was a homecoming queen and, and uh, at the high school, and we were playing Wyoming the next day, and I was in Laramie, Wyoming, so my brother-in-law had the escort her. So, you know, I was, uh, thank goodness, thank goodness I had a great wife. That always seems to be the case. She yeah. was not only a wife, she was a taxi driver, and she was a second baseman on the neighborhood baseball team, probably, you know. <laughs> she did all those things that I couldn't do. And, and like I said, you can't be home every day at 5 o'clock if you're a coach. Yeah. If you do, you won't be a very good coach because you've got a family that you have to take up, but you've also got a family of 100 kids that without you, they don't have anything. So that's that's the sacrifice you got to make. And if you're not willing to make that, don't do it. I've, There's I've, a lot of jobs when you go home at 5, you're through. And you don't have to do anything until 8 o'clock the next morning. But that's not the coaching. The coaching is, uh, you know, many, many Saturdays. You're at track meets. You're, you know, if you're yeah. you're at uh, basketball tournaments, you're officiating. You're yeah. driving buses. And that's the part of the profession that that uh, you can't do it all. Like I said, you can't be you got to make some sacrifice, so marry a good woman. <laughs> As, uh, make sure she's got a good driver's license. <laughs> and, uh, and go from there. But, you know, in the end, it's uh, it, it's so rewarding and so enriching that it's, you know, it's, it's the greatest profession in the whole world. I feel very fortunate to ever had a chance to do it. I really do. And uh, I was lucky. I had, you know, I had a chance to do some things that were just absolute sheer luck. And uh, you know, so it was—I I wouldn't trade with anybody. I, I, I have—I have no regrets. I've heard it said uh, with coaching that if you could live without it, don't do it. I've heard that. I think that was Coach Keeling that actually told us that on air when we asked him about advice one time. No he, question, no question, because just what I said. Mm-hmm. Because you're—you're you're not going to be at the birthday party. You're not going to yeah. be—you know—you're not going. It, it just—it just works that way. I yeah. mean, and and if it doesn't, you know, you can't coach eight to five. Is what people are saying. I mean, there's not a. And it's not five days a week. It just it just absolutely has to do it the other way if you're gonna if you're gonna succeed. And if you're not willing to do that, well, don't do it. Talking I mean, about your, a lot of things you do out there. Yeah. Talking but, about your spouse, uh, Coach Keelan, or Coach Burleson once told me, he said, uh, in football, a head coach has to outpunt his coverage when it comes to a wife. And that no was question was, about that. <laughs> absolutely smartest remark we've had all day out there. You've got to kick your coverage now. Yeah. Believe me, you do. And those guys that have been successful have done that. Yeah. And, uh, boy, I know I did. <laughs> Ferris, you had a question for Coach? Hey, hey, Coach, I'm just wondering, as a head coach, which – is more intense for you as a head coach and has more pressure put on you? Coaching NCAA Division One football or coaching Texas high school football? Oh, I don't I don't have a clue. I would say the biggest game I ever coached in my life was Cahoma and Astrovon. Uh, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, we had, you know, we had 900 people living in Cahoma and we had 2,000 people at the game wow. at 5 o'clock in the afternoon that we had a bunch of temporary bleachers at 5 o'clock. It was full. We played at 7.30. Wow. Uh, you know, and Ask me this, is the Super Bowl more important than the Class A state championship game? Well, not, of course not. Not in West not Texas. for the people playing it. <laughs> yeah. and, right. and that's all that matters. I mean, the rest of that stuff is window dressing, you know. Mm-hmm. But, no, I don't think uh, – I've, I've been fortunate. I've had some great, great moments. And just like I said, I've had some ugly moments, too. The Cotton Bowl probably was the worst deal I ever went through. And, and probably the next worst deal was that deal of White Deer. So – you know, it's all relative. Uh, 
it doesn't mean any more to a coach to win the state championship than it does to win the national championship, I don't think. Yeah. And uh, I think it's all relative. And, you know, that's uh, that's what makes it so much fun. There's the People say, well, there's too many teams in the playoffs. Well, why? Why is there too many? I mean, the, if you're not good enough, you're going to get beat anyway. So yeah. it doesn't, you know, <laughs> that doesn't make sense. And uh, it, uh, who cares? I mean, the thrill of getting in the playoffs. Every time you play a football game on Friday nights, you've got – you know, you've got 100 players, you've got 100 band members, you've got a pep squad of 100, you've got people all over. I mean, is there a better way that if you're not good enough, I mean, eventually you don't win anyway. So, right. no, nah, I think it's great. I, I really do. I think the way the high school deal set up and uh, it's just wonderful. Well, Coach, I want to say thank you for coming on Docs and Jocks. I feel like my football IQ just uh, got tripled here today. <laughs> so I've been writing down uh, Coach uh, Spike Dyke's uh, quotes already, already. I'm going to repeat these on the show numerous times, I'm sure. But I want to say thank you and especially thank you for coming on on your birthday. We, we broke into the uh, show doing the uh, uh, Ballinger Bearcat fight song. We're going to go out with the Texas Tech fight song. But uh, have a wonderful 76-year-old uh, birthday. Hey, I know you're going golfing with all your friends, so have a great time there. Uh, we'll have to have you back on Docs and Jocks real soon, if that's okay with well, you. Well, thanks, Doc. I appreciate it. What a great program. I, I look forward to it. Thank you so much. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks. Hey, we just uh, finished an interview with uh, Coach Spike Dykes. Man, if you just listened to that, that was a pre-recorded interview. Obviously, uh, Coach Spike Dykes passed away this last week. We wanted to bring that to you just because, one, uh, he was just such a special person. We're all going to miss him. And, two, I just thought it had a lot of great spikeisms And, you know, just remembering a man like that I think is always a good thing. Ferris, I- uh, we talked about it early in the show, but Spike Dykes is one of those people that reaches nationally. You and I grew up in uh, the Midwest, and I heard Spike Dykes' name when I was growing up in Illinois. You obviously heard it when you were growing up in Missouri. And uh, he's one of those guys that's kind of bigger than uh, the area he's in and just really reaches tons and tons of people. So I thought it was a great interview. I think uh, we'll say bye to our friend, and it was a good way to doing it. We're going to have on uh, coming up uh, Coach Cliff Kingsbury, his last quarterback at Texas Tech and also the current head football coach at Texas Tech, talking about him in the next segment. But, man, not a, not a better interview. I think uh, we've done uh, the the one we just did with Spike Dykes there. Yeah, sad that we lost him. Uh, Cool that we have an interview with him that we can go back and listen to or play, and it's up on a podcast people can listen to anytime. That's that's one of the bittersweet things about it. We talked about uh, the athletes that are getting ALS, you know, the Dwight Clarks and things of, you know, at least in this day and age, kids can go back and watch footage of their dad or their grandpa or their uncle, and you can go back and listen to a Spike Dykes interview if you're ever missing the guy, you know, and go, hey, let me just listen to that. 15 minute interview and yeah yeah, it's kind of cool so sad but uh yeah great guy he'll be missed you will be missed for sure hey i do want to go ahead and promote something that's coming up here uh in the near future man if you're able to anywhere near the uh, big country area here in abilene texas one of our guest fairs that we've had on a lot of times and i'm going to give her a plug here because she's that good jill lane is a uh, sports nutritionist who is uh, bar none one of the best we've ever dealt with she's been on our show numerous times if you've listened to docs and jocks she makes nutrition and eating correctly and performing your athlete's performance uh, making that much simpler to understand. That's what Jill Lane does routinely. So you can go to JillLane.com and you can find out about how she does that. She's going to be coming to D1 Abilene, and that's where our radio show is uh, based out of. And she's going to be coming on April 30th. It's going to be at 2 p.m. It's on a Sunday, so it makes it easy for your sports parents who are coming back from select sports and those types of things. If you have a young man, a young woman, or you want to learn how to eat better yourself, you're an athlete yourself, maybe you're a middle-aged adult like myself, and you want to do that, man, it'd be a great interview to come or great uh, meeting to come to April 30th, 2 p.m. at D1 Abilene. That's 4351 Ridgemont Drive here in Abilene, Texas. Uh, D1 
Abilene, just right behind uh, the Mall of Abilene, right next to Buffalo Wild Wings. But D1 Abilene, April 30th at 2 p.m., Jill Lane, who is the nutritionist in multiple, multiple different teams in the Dallas area, as well as athletes like Demarcus Ware. And Man, I, the list is so long, I don't want to start naming people. I'll leave people out. But she is that good. Don't want to miss that meeting. But, yeah, Jill Lane's been a great uh, asset to have here on the show as far as talking about sports nutrition. She's one of the people that makes it sound easy to me. Yeah, she is also a nutritionist to the great uh, Caleb Mutton. So. Yes, she is. Yeah, Caleb's up to 190 you gotta, pounds. You got to throw son, that so. name in I'll there. Throw that in there. there. Yeah. Absolutely. Demarcus Ware, Caleb Mutton. We've got a ways to go before Caleb's uh, in <laughs> that room. Just a little bit. Just a little bit to go. Though. Yeah, a long ways to go. But, yeah, but uh, Jill Lane, and you can go find out about her, JillLane.com. She's been promoting it heavily on her social media as well, but we definitely want to give a throw out to her and let her know that we're trying to get ready for that event. It would be a great event to have her, have you come attend. And so, man, it would be awesome. Hey, I uh, want to say thank Thank you to our sponsors on this segment is West Texas Neurosurgeons, Doctors Trammell, Brown, and Edelman. Could not do my show without the great sponsors here on Docs and Jocks. Ferris, I thought with this few remaining minutes in this segment, I thought we'd talk about a few of the things going on in the sports medicine world. Uh, Buster Posey, one of our favorite uh, catchers and baseball players, he's one of those likable guys that seems like everybody likes, even if you hate the San Francisco Giants. He got hit in the head this week by a 94-mile-an-hour fastball. And uh, when I saw it, he obviously is going to be out for a seven-day concussion evaluation, had a concussion from it. But it reminded me that not that long ago in the distant past of baseball, they did not wear helmets. This ball hit him directly in the temple, which now has a hard uh, safety helmet on it. But that would have maybe killed Willie Mays, Hank Aaron, some of the guys who played yep. with just a cap. When you watch those old videos of baseball players wearing a soft cap when they go up to the plate, it makes me nervous, man, watching it. But it is, it is scary, man, I'm telling you. There was, a cat, there was a shortstop for the Detroit Tigers got hit in the head that uh, died. Ray Chapman is the only player that ever got killed on a baseball field. So, yeah, it can happen. And I'll tell you what, Buster Posey with a 94-mile-an-hour fastball directly to the temple, I'm glad – you know, all we're dealing with is a seven-day concussion protocol return to play. But, yeah, that was a scary moment. Yeah, it was uh, Taiwan Walker, the new pitcher for the Diamondbacks, who uh, yeah. hit him in the head. Obviously, not. I don't think he's trying it. I'm trying to throw inside. But, you know, it, it always brings up the question. We talked about it earlier in the show about competition and old-school baseball and stuff. You know, if you're the Giants, do you retaliate against something like that? Or do you say, oh, that one just got away from him, you know? I'll tell you what they did, but you tell me what you would have done if you were Bruce Bochy, the manager. Uh, I would have uh, definitely plunked the next guy coming up right in the rear end. They they waited a day the next day because that game was, you know, just started. the next day, first time up, Paul Goldschmidt hit him in the rear end, and that was it. <laughs> that was it. Yeah, you kind of expected it. And, Go- you know, and Goldie it hit him in the rear. He, he, he took the hit, jogged down the first base. Yeah, I know. So, I yeah. mean, I mean, I hopefully that's it. Um, but I will have to wait and see. Those teams don't like each other much, anyways. But yeah, that's kind of the way old school baseball says to handle it, right? You hit is our best player. Well, your best player, game over. Yeah, no, you hit my done. player in the head. Yeah, that's managers do not like it. Players do not like it. Anything above the shoulders, man. When you throw a fastball high and tight, if it's above the shoulders, either teach your pitcher how to pitch. Or get him off the mound, one of the two. If you're throwing at my player's head, there's a potential to kill him and or knock him out. I mean, we saw that with John Carl, Carlos Stanton. Uh, man, that was a scary, scary moment. Hit him in the uh, eye socket, and he was no. Oh, Hasn't been the same has since. Hasn't been the yes. Yeah, it's just that scary. And multiple surgeries later, he's back playing. But is he the same player? Not no, absolutely not. Yeah. So, yeah, scary moment. But yeah, if you're the best player on the other team and you see Buster Posey get hit in the head, you're like, hey, you oh, know it's dang, it's going to get. Or the guy on deck. It used to be the guy on deck. Uh, you know, the first guy up the next inning, first I should guy say. Up next, yeah. yeah, you're going to be the next guy to get hit. Yeah, so. I think Tony Larusa kind of changed. You know, Tony Larusa. I mean, he managed you guys, the Cardinals, for years. Yeah. The White Sox, the Ace. 
Tony La Russa is a lawyer too, and he he kind of did that whole like it's got to be equal. Like if if you had Buster and we had Chris Owings, that's not equal. <laughs> yeah. it's, you know, he, he, he if I remember correctly, he's the guy who kind of was like. If you hit my best player, I'm hitting your best player. Exactly. That type of thing. It's right. got to be levels of retribution. <laughs> yeah. Which is kind of funny, but he's the first guy I remember ever doing yeah. that. Hey, Gary Sanchez, the Yankees catcher, he is out with a, a grade one uh, muscle underneath your biceps called your brachialis muscle. He has a strain of that muscle. He's going to be out four weeks, but I thought it was really interesting. Cause remember, Gary Sanchez last year came up with the Yankees, a ball of fire, man. This guy was in fuego. He was hitting home runs. I think he hit 15 home runs in like 16 games. He seemed like he was hitting them every, every night. Every at bat, it seemed like there for a while, hit uh, yeah. nearly 400. Well, this year he's three for 20 with one home run, and he ends up having an injury. So you never know. It, it's the thing about coming up when you come up as a rookie, man. You just never know. They're going to figure you out. They're just going. You're going. They're going to find whatever weakness is, and you're going to see a steady diet of whatever that is for that period of time. Yeah, he's going to be very good. Obviously, he's got all the tools. I should say to be very good. But yeah, that hurts, man. Because yeah. when you're that young, you got to see a lot of pitches. You got to have, you know, you got to have at bats. And now he's going to miss four to six weeks before he gets a chance to start getting abs again. Right. Exactly. Hey, when we come back, Ferris, we're going to have on an interview we did with Cl- Coach Cliff Kingsbury talking about his good friend Spike Dykes. We'll have that and more on your Sports Medicine Radio Show, Docs and Jocks. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan, coming to you live from inside Docs and Jocks radio studio. Hey, if you're just catching your sports medicine show for the very first time, want to find out more about our show, you can do so by going to docsandjocks.com, D-O-X-N-J-O-X.com, and there you find out how to follow us on social media. You can also follow our show on your, our iTunes app. Just go to Docs and Jocks, D-O-X-N-J-O-X. Listen to our show anytime, anywhere at your convenience. Hey, we do want to say thank you to First Financial Bank for bringing us this segment of Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. Hey, Ferris, we're very honored to have on a, a, a good friend of uh, Docs and Jocks uh, who is going to be talking about his good friend, uh, Coach Spike Dykes. We have on air with us, online with us, a head Texas Tech University football coach, uh, Coach Cliff Kingsbury. Coach Kingsbury, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, fellas, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Hey, you know, uh, we were uh, doing a little research, and you have a very strong West Texas connection. Our show is based out of Abilene. We're heard nationally, but based out of Abilene, Texas, out here in West Texas. And your first college quarterback to coach was uh, NCAA record holder Case Keenum, who's from Abilene, Texas. In 2002, you won the Sammy Ball Award for being the most prolific uh, offensive quarterback in the nation. We're given that Sammy Ball Award. Uh, he is from Rotan, Texas. And then your first head coach at Texas Tech was Coach Spike Dykes from Ballinger, Texas, a Ballinger Bearcat. He was very, very proud of that, who sadly passed away this week. But uh, I wanted you to tell us about how you got to know Coach Spike Dykes and how he came into your life. Yeah, what's crazy about it, um, I went to Texas Tech football camp, I think starting my summer of my eighth grade um, year and, and continued going all through high school. So I, I got to know Coach Dykes. My dad was a high school coach and had always raved about Coach Dykes and Coach Winder and some of the great Texas Tech coaches. So that's the camp that we selected to go to and started going there when I was you know, in eighth grade and, and went every year, every summer. They had a tremendous quarterback camp, tremendous football camp up here and fell in love with West Texas, fell in love with the coaching staff and uh, the people, the community and um, got very fortunate there at the end of signing day my senior year. They had a scholarship come open and Coach Dykes flew down to, to New Braunfels and sat down with my family and I. And, and as you can imagine, when he sits down in the yeah. living room, it's, it's a spectacle and it's <laughs> an unbelievable conversation. And, yeah. um, I knew that's where I wanted to go. So I uh, committed and, and 
got to play under him for two years, which was incredible to watch him. The way he just treats other humans, the way he motivated, um, you know, his football knowledge, the way he carried himself. It's just, it was like coaching 101 for me, and, and I was very fortunate to, uh, to call him coach. Well, Coach Kingsbury, we had the pleasure of interviewing Coach Dykes on his uh, 77th birthday, and uh, he is known as one of the greatest storytellers of all times. They're called spike-isms, the things, uh, his great bits of wisdom. So I thought we were going to play a short clip of him talking about you when you first took over at Texas Tech and your story about your very first year there when he was uh, working with you as a quarterback. So let's go ahead and play that clip from Spike Dykes. Oh, I think Cliff is a great, great choice. You know, Cliff is one of the most competitive people I've ever known in my life, uh, he came from a great family. His father was a coach. His brother was an athlete. Uh, very, very well disciplined. And you know, Cliff was Cliff was really an overachiever. I mean, he was he had a lot of ability, but he didn't have as much ability as he professed because he became a great, great record-setting college football player. And he did it because of hard work and dedication. And you know, Cliff pays attention to the little things. He he always. Uh, I'll tell you a funny story quickly yep. about Cliff. We're playing Oklahoma the last game I'm coaching at Texas Tech. And we're Rob Peters, our start quarterback, starts. so we have to start Cliff, who's a redshirt freshman. And we're playing Oklahoma. It's a half. We're down 28 to 10. And we're going in. Somebody runs up behind me and passes me on the rear and there's breaks my neck, and I turn around, it's Cliff. He said, don't worry, Coach, we got him right where we want him. <laughs> and came back and beat him 38-28. And, you know, that's, that's what he thought was going to happen. And it's, so he, uh, now I think Cliff, I think Cliff is great. I think he's great. I think he, what Cliff did, the very best thing he did, he hired a great coaching staff. He hired a bunch of guys that really want to be there. And I think the future's bright. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I think it's going to be, you know, I think he, the, the program is in excellent hands and it will be better than it's ever been in the history of, of Texas Tech. Well, Coach Kingsbury, I don't think there's a better endorsement than uh, Coach Spike Dykes just gave you there, but from your standpoint, tell the OU story where you patted him on the rear end and said, hey, we got him right where we want him. Give, give your version of that story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, I mean, it was a big week. We knew that was Coach Dykes' last game and we got, you know, just pounded on the week before down in Austin and Rob Pierce, who was a really good quarterback, had gotten hurt. So it was going to be my first start. And Coach Winder, who was, you know, a coach on our staff, had been the OC at OU, and so he was fired up to play OU. Yeah. Plus, it was Coach Dice game, and so the buildup was was pretty amazing for for my first start. But we we got going, and I, I could just, you know, sometimes you're in a game and you just feel the energy, you feel the crowd, you you feel things going a certain way, and we were losing at halftime, but. I, it was just something about that day. I, I could tell that that team wasn't going to let Coach Sykes walk out of that stadium a loser that day. And um, so the guys rallied around each other. And yeah, I was jogging up the tunnel, and I could tell he was kind of stressing. So I just slotted him on my way up and said, "Hey, we got him right where we want him, Coach." And I got by him, and he probably thought it was crazy. But just one of the, sometimes when, when you're in the, the heat of battle with with you know your teammates, and, and you see it in their eyes what what Coach Dykes meant to, to to them and to you. There's no way we're going to let him lose that game. Oh, that's an incredible story. Ferris, you have a coach question for uh, Coach Kingsbury? Yeah, Cliff. So um, talking about Spike Dykes, what are some of the things you mentioned that you know? I mean, you've been around a lot of great coaches, and I'm sure a lot of them have kind of you've learned from them. What are some of the specific things you learned from Spike that you still use today in your coaching? Yeah, he was a master motivator. There's no doubt. I mean, when you look at some of the talent you had on some of the teams as opposed to the teams he was competing against year in and year out. You know, he probably didn't stack up too well on paper, but he, he 
would have you up to play. He'd have you prepared to play. He had discipline in his teams, um, and that's why he was able to compete at a high level out here for a long time uh, when nobody thought it was possible. And, and so I just the way he treated people, probably first and foremost, you know, whether you're the eight-string walk-on kicker or the the starting quarterback, he treated the same way. He learned about your family, learned about your parents, learned what made you tick, learned you know who your girlfriend was, and, and that always in the world does. And I think that's why you saw how hard his teams played for him because they didn't want to disappoint him. They didn't want to let him down. Right. Cliff, I don't know uh, how hard it was for you when you had that coaching change, but, I mean, that gives you an experience, too, for, for some kids uh, having to go through that. How difficult was that when, you know, you said it was Spike's last game, you didn't want to let him down, then you get a new coach coming in who, in Mike Leach, I imagine was, or Mike Leach, was, I imagine was a lot different than uh, Spike Leach. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they were opposite ends of the section. There's, there's no question. And the, the good thing with, with Coach Dykes was that you knew he was at peace. You knew he was, uh, you know, moving on to the next phase of his life and had his grandkids and, you know, went out. I think it was something like 10 years in a row, you know, with, with a winning season. Um, so it, 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 felt right it felt like he had moved on where he wanted to move on and was still going to be a big part of the program um so when coach leach came in it was definitely a change it was definitely different and um but you know both great coaches in their own right Hey, you're listening to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show, and we're talking to Coach Cliff Kingsbury, head football coach at Texas Tech University. And uh, Coach Kingsbury, you, we've mentioned some of the great coaches you played for, obviously Spike Dykes, uh, Coach Mike Leach, but no, most notably probably the coach that you started with was your dad, Tim Kingsbury, uh, obviously a warrior in, the, in all, the, all the meanings of that. He was a Purple Heart recipient in Vietnam. So it had to mean a lot to you that that was where your dad also wanted you to go, go play at Texas Tech, go play for Coach Spike Dykes. Yeah, I mean, Having a dad as a coach is a, is a special bond that, that you uh, grow up with, and um, he was the one who kind of taught me about work ethic, taught me what it takes to, to be a successful player and, and be a, a man, and so he's always my number one coach, but uh, I was fortunate enough to follow him right into to Coach Dyke, so I can't think of two better men in the world to learn from and, and gather things from than, than those two men. You know, you've been uh, known for being able to recruit great, great quarterback talent. And we were talking to Coach Spike Dykes during the interview, and i got to go back and listen to it. And uh, one of the things he always said, at the quarterback position nowadays, he said, I don't know if I would even be able to play that position because there's so many things you have to know. And one thing that you always did throughout your career, you were uh, you won not only uh, great sporting accolades, but also you were an All-American in the classroom as well. And he always talked about how that meant a lot to him when a quarterback not only did, did his work on the field, but also off the field, and kept his grades up, and and uh, was able to to uh, take a team to the next level because he worked hard in the classroom. Talk about that a little bit. No question, that that's a big one for us. Uh, we we have some criteria that we look at when we're recruiting a quarterback, and and that's one of them. You know, how do they handle their schoolwork? Because they're not taking pride in that area, they're not competing in that area. Then it's you know it's kind of a red flag for us. And and a fine example of that is you know this year's quarterback Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. Uh, was about to be a top ten you know, draft pick in the NFL. He was Big Twelve Scholar Athlete of the Year in our conference for football, and he has a three six GPA in our business school, and had great grades in high school, and and it all runs hand in hand. And I think when you're looking at quarterbacks and you're looking at the overall package, how do they treat people? How hard do they work? How do they do in school? That's definitely a big factor in it. Right. Coach, you talk about your quarterback going to be a top draft pick. How how does he project out in the NFL in your eyes? And is there anybody he kind of reminds you to? Uh, as as an NFL quarterback, I, I think he projects well. His skill set is so um, 
impressive and and he's only 21 years old he won't turn 22 till next season um he, he just now really is starting to learn football learn how to work this past season was his first full year concentrating on football not playing baseball so he actually had an off season for the first time and the steps i saw him take were immense and i, and I know that's just going to continue down that path as he focuses on football year round and as he continues to train and continues learning the game. So he, uh, he's a special, special talent. I, when I watch him play, all the plays he can make off schedule, throwing from different platforms, throwing, uh, whether he has two feet on the ground or not, reminds me of Aaron Rodgers, reminds me of Ben Roethlisberger, those guys that are incredible at extending plays. And it may not always be on schedule, but they find the open receiver and they're accurate and they have big time arms. Right. Hey, when we interviewed uh, Coach Spike Dykes, one of the things he was most proud of was, uh, and he was he was 50 years uh, in, in football, which is amazing how, how long he was uh, doing this uh, job. But he was so proud of his coaching tree, which included you, obviously his son, uh, Sonny Dykes. But uh, talk about that coaching tree. You're one of the youngest coaches uh, in the in NCAA, and uh, what that means is you see guys coming up who've coached under you now starting to branch out, and what that meant for Coach Spike Dykes. Yeah, it's, it's huge just because you want to see everybody that believed in you and comes and is a part of your staff or plays for you, um, signs up to play for you. You want to see them have success because it means a lot that, that they believed in you enough to be a part of your program, whether it was a player or as a coach. And so anytime you have guys go on to be successful in coaching and maybe have picked up one thing from you along the way that helped them get to that point, uh, there's definitely a deep sense of satisfaction and pride in that. Absolutely. Coach, can you see yourself? What are you in your fourth, fifth year? Can you see yourself doing this as long as, uh, 50 as, as years. Spike did it? How's it going for you? I think I, I became an official coach in 2010, so I got a long ways to go. But I'm not. I, I, you won't see me get to 50. I'll be on a beat somewhere by that point. There you go. One of the lo- things I loved about Spike Dykes, he said when he took his first job as an assistant coach with the Ballinger Bearcats, where he had played his high school ball, he said he loved football so much that he felt guilty taking his paycheck. He said he he walked backwards to the paycheck window because he felt so guilty taking money for coaching football. <laughs> I always love those uh, Spike Dykesisms. Hey, give us some of those things you learned those first couple of years uh, coaching with him, some of the things that he told you, like little things that stayed with you, bits of wisdom uh, from Coach Spike Dykes that you still remember today. Yeah, one of my favorites um, that's, you know, as we had a rough year last year, he, he'd always bring back his, he said, you know, I, I tell my wife every year I'm in coaching I lose 10% of my friends and as he said I've been, been coaching at Tech for 13 years so you do the math and oh, I man. think uh, you know that, that, you know, after being here for four I, I can definitely appreciate that so he, he, he always had the right thing to say um, once I became coach up here you know, I, I'd get a, a note once a month just checking on me hey don't write me back just want to see how you're doing hang in there you know do this you know doing that well so that that meant the world to me because yeah. somebody you look up to and somebody you learn so much from to, to still take the time at his age to reach out and look after me um, just, just shows what type of man he was. Right. Hey, uh, one of the things uh, Spike Dice told me one time was he was saying that when he went to Rice University where he started his career, he said, uh, I had to transfer out of there because they didn't challenge me academically enough, and he was just joking. But it's one of those <laughs> things, man. It's amazing. Hey, we are a sports yeah, medicine yeah. radio show here, and uh, – uh, Coach Kingsbury, tell us about that great sports medicine team you have there. We'd be uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about it. Dr. Kevin Crawford, one of the best orthopedic surgeons uh, nationally. Uh, Grant Stovall with the, your athletic training staff there. Speak to your sports medicine team and what they mean to you there with Texas Tech and keeping you guys uh, on the field. Yeah, they're incredible. Um, Dr. Crawford, like you said, he's renowned around the country. He's one of the finest 
spends a lot of time with our guys, probably more than, than he has to, but he's up here all the time. Dr. Fai um, is kind of our resident doctor that, once again, is here at 7 a.m. every morning taking care of our, our guys, our coaches, anybody on staff, whatever they need. And then Grant uh, oversees it all and, and has really put a premium on uh, not only being great to his staff and the young people that work for sports medicine, but our players and coaches and we're very lucky because I know at any point we are as well taken care of as anybody in the country, and, and that's a direct reflection of those guys. That's awesome. Fierce? Coach, real quick, I wanted to go back. We, we mentioned about Patrick Mahomes and his jump now to the NFL. When you made that jump as well, how, how different is it being a quarterback in college football at a high, high level and then making that jump to the NFL? There's definitely a, a huge adjustment. I do think the NFL game, when you watch it on Sundays, there's a lot more shotgun, there's a lot more spread type things going on. So I think conceptually there's more carryover now than maybe when, when I came out uh, was that 14 years ago. It's a long time. Um, but he, uh, <laughs> he's going to have some things that, that he hasn't done before, and, and so are all the other guys. Every quarterback, you know, the top four or five guys that are uh, mentioning for those top spots this year all come from spread offenses and so any offense you go into it's going to be new there's going to be some adjustment but i think the number one thing is just the amount of time that goes into it i mean yeah. you're waiting by a fax machine on monday night at 11:30 p.m to get the red zone so you're ready on tuesday to install that and that's just not the hours we put in in college just aren't there because of NCAA restrictions and things of that nature and the time it takes to truly be a great player in that league is is insane and and that i think is what's going to jump out to to all those rookie quarterbacks that first year. Hey, Coach Kingsbury, from all of us here at Docs and Josh, we say thank you so much for coming on at this time. It can be a sad time, but something tells me that a little short time I even spent with Coach Spike Dykes that he wouldn't want us to be sad, and it uh, really is fun kind of remembering him and all the great things he did, and especially for uh, his players like you. And he said on the show, he said, the thing that I most miss and the thing I am most proud of at the same time about football is my former players and where they are in life and how they're doing. So you've been in that group as a small select group. So thank you so much for coming on and talking about your great friend, Spike Dykes. Thanks so much, fellas. Yeah, I know there's been a ton of players in Babe Lovick, and that shows what he was about. And I'm honored to be one of them. So thank you all. Thank you so much. Hey, we're right back for Docs and Jocks after this short commercial break. Hey, welcome back to Docs and Jocks, your sports medicine radio show. My name is Dr. Dan, longtime sports medicine physician with Texas Sports Spine. If you're just catching your sports medicine show, Docs and Jocks, for the very first time, you can go to our website, docsandjocks.com, find out how to be part of our show with Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you name it. Love to have you be part of our show, doxnjox.com, docsandjocks.com. You can also listen to our show anytime, anywhere at your convenience on our iTunes app. We want to say thank you to all our wonderful listeners for making our iTunes app, Docs and Jocks, one of the fastest growing iTunes podcasts out there, doxnjox, doxnjox on your podcast, uh, on your iTunes app. Hey, great to have you with us today. My co-host each week is Ferris Potter, the longtime sports broadcaster with Grand Canyon University. And Ferris, give us a little update on Grand Canyon University and how they're doing right now with uh, baseball, getting ready to go midseason and getting ready to head towards the playoffs if needed. Well, baseball, second place in the Western Athletic Conference, uh, played Chicago State this weekend. And then uh, the big one's going to be New Mexico State. New Mexico State is still good. unbeaten always at good. the time of taping this. Yeah, and they've got an older team. You know, it's really interesting to me. It, it's it's so clear how important it is to play a long time. I mean, that we have a very sophomore-laden team, and they've got a, a senior-laden team. You can see the differences. It shows up, I think, in baseball more than any other sport, you know, that 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 they just having games under your belt and that and, and being older. 
Um, so they're great. But, man, uh, GCU playing really well there. Their non-conference schedule has been fantastic. They've already played U of A, uh, Oklahoma State, Wichita State. we got Kansas coming up in a couple of weeks. Uh, rumor mill is we're going to have a huge big 12 team come out and open the new arena to I can't really say anything about it, but one of the top teams in the Big 12 going to come out and open up the uh, new gym or sorry, excuse me, the new stadium next year when they build that. And then, um, you know, softball's playing really well. They're in the top, you know, in a race for the the WAC title. And then uh, men's volleyball hosting a uh, playoff that. game yeah. for the first, first time, time ever yeah. in number of years. Yeah, and and, and uh, in the in the Miva third place behind you know Ohio State and Ball State, which are just fantastic. Uh, men's volleyball program so a lot of cool things going on but it is winding down you can kind of feel it kind of winding down a long season of athletics and basically everything ends and you got baseball still playing for another month so yeah it's kind of weird it because everything weird. else ends i love men's volleyball uh, i love watching it man it's so athletic those guys can get up and they can just smack it down man i love watching it i just only watch it during the olympics don't ask me why but i only I watch men's volleyball during the olympics but it's such a great sport i don't know why i don't watch it more i loved playing it when you and i were out in arizona together at grand canyon university you and i played sand volleyball as, as one of the favorite sports i ever played it was, it was awesome and, you know, GCU has one of the only, uh, well, not one of the only, but there's there's a few uh, colleges that have D1 sand volleyball oh, for women, and GCU's yeah. got a team. Yeah. Um, the Texas schools are really good at it. But, yeah, just check out gculopes.com, and if, if we're streaming anything on YouTube, more than likely I'll be calling that. Um, so as we progress in the men's volleyball, if we have more home matches, I'll be calling those. So it's it's I'd never called a volleyball game, and I was a little nervous about it because I'd never done it before. But I had a good analyst with me, and I, I really enjoyed it. It is, it is a fun game to watch, man. Yeah, I'm going to give a little shout-out for my partner here. Uh, Ferris does a great job. And he's actually his name is Michael Potter, so when you hear him on the Grand Canyon University uh, the uh, <laughs> broadcast, that's actually what it goes by. Ferris is his nickname because he looks like Matthew Broderick. But he uh, does a great job. If you can call baseball and make it exciting and fun and, in, and, and entertaining and engaging by yourself, it's one of the hardest sports, I think, to do that on your own. And Ferris does that on a routine basis, night after night, doing baseball by himself and does an excellent job at it. My family listens to him. We like uh, listen to him and uh, as well as at Green Canyon University and find out how they're doing. But I tell you what, Ferris, you do a great job at it, and I very much highly recommend our audience going out and listening to you. Good job, man. Thanks, man. It's a lot of fun. And, you know, well, you love baseball. You, you and I are the types of guys that, like, I'll be driving down the road, driving home yeah. with my wife and kids, and I'll see – some little junior high playing a game. And I'm like, hey, you guys want to pull over and watch? And they're like, yeah. are you insane? We don't even know who that is. I'm like, but it's baseball. Let's go <laughs> Let's go watch it, you know? Yeah. So a chance to sit in a press box and call games is just like a kind of a dream come true. So. Yeah, we were driving in the car. My family uh, uh, last night was like, why are we listening to Tampa Bay New York Yankees? I said, because it's on right now. <laughs> I said, what do you have to <laughs> You not know your dad? I, it's kind of a like, dumb question. Yeah, like, I said, yeah, I, I flip and channels and there the it car, is. He's like, get out. Get out right now. Just get out. <laughs> Pull a spike dike. Send him on the side of the road. Exactly. Yeah, leave him between Dublin and Eastland on Highway 6. If you missed that interview, man, go back and listen to our spike dikes comments earlier. Hey, uh, NHL hockey player. This is one of the big sports medicine stories that broke this week. Forward for Carolina Hurricanes, Brian Bickle. I thought we'd give a shout-out to he and his family. Our prayers going out to them. He was recently diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. And multiple sclerosis, if you don't know what that is, and I'm just going to kind of give you the National MS Society's definition. of It's a disorder with the body's central nervous system, so your brain and your spinal cord that affect the uh, fibers in those areas. They're attacked after an abnormal response by the body's immune system. Those attacks focus on the myelin and the nerve fibers in the brain and the spinal cord, creating a buildup of scar tissue that distorts those nerve impulses to and from the brain and spinal cord. So basically, 
Ferris, in a nutshell, myelin is the covering around nerve fibers. Think of an electric wire that has a copper in the middle and it has the rubber coating around it. The rubber coating in, in your nervous system would be the myelin. Those get scar tissue around it and it causes those nerve impulses not to work correctly. So you may w- wake up one day and the entire right side of your body just burns, tingles, can't move it. The next next day you're going to have a different symptom. It's just the most bizarre come-and-go type type illness and so oftentimes it's very difficult to diagnose and that was the way it was with brian bickle started having these symptoms he said initially you know i couldn't feel the right side of my body the next thing you know i can't use my hands i'm clumsy i can't hold a hockey stick and he was diagnosed uh, with multiple sclerosis and he's only 30 years old and he's been an excellent player he's had three stanley cups uh, with the uh, chicago blackhawks that he's been involved in and so he's an excellent player and so i thought it was really cool they basically let his last play for the Carolina Hurricanes be he goes out and he does a penalty shot and uh, makes it and, and rides off the ice, you know, with the fans going crazy. So it was pretty cool they let him go out and do that. He couldn't play the game because he couldn't hold the stick the way he needed to, but he could get one last penalty shot off, and he made it and then, uh, you know, skated off the ice to a standing ovation. Pretty cool for Brian Bickle, but our prayers uh, definitely go out for him and his family. Yeah, a long way ahead. But like we talked about earlier in the show, you know, he, he's obviously a competitor to get to that level. Yes. And so I, I heard an interview that Jim Rome did with a, a doctor who called in to talk about that disease and said he, you know, he treats people with that. And Jim Rome said, you know, how much does attitude play in your recovery? Yes. He said, I'll be honest with you. Attitude is probably the Huge. number one factor in how you're going to do it. Because he said, we can, we can, you know, we can, we can diagnose, we can give you drugs, we can do those things for you. We can do the best we can medically. But he said the people who... Um, have the best quality of life through this disease are the ones who have the best attitude. Positive attitude. The hands positive down outlook. is the number one factor. Yeah, it really is because it also, for whatever reason, brings with it a multitude of, well, I mean, obviously, multitude of different emotional responses, depression, anger, you know, those types of things because this is happening to you. You don't know what, what neurological symptoms you're going to have that day. It's very bizarre. Sometimes it goes through remissions where your symptoms get better and then it goes through relapses where your symptoms get really bad again. So sometimes you eventually get it where you can't use uh, your legs so you have to be in a, a wheelchair, those types of things. So it's very, very uh, frustrating to the patient. And so, yeah, but just keeping that positive attitude and staying mentally strong. So hopefully Brian Bickle with his history of sports, like we talk about here on Docs and Jocks all the time, I think sports is a great window to look through life at. And so what took him to uh, be an NHL hockey player, that, that, grit, that grit, that determination, that confidence, those types of things, hopefully that will carry over into his battle with multiple sclerosis. Yeah, it sounds like it from all the interviews I've read about it that, you know, I mean, I think you probably go through all those emotions you said, but it sounds like they're kind of moving on to the emotions of, okay, let's fight this thing. You know, let's 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 have a great quality of life while we still can. And like you said, it doesn't always work out this way, but when it does work out, it's really cool. Yeah, I mean, they'll have that video. They'll have that memory. The last time he ever skated, he banged one off the pole off the pipe for a goal. In the National Hockey League. I mean, that's, you know, you're going to go out. That's the way to go out. Yeah. Uh, the way to go out, speaking of which, uh, Dan Rooney passed away this week. He is the son of Art Rooney, who was the founder of the Pittsburgh Steelers. If you've ever heard of the Rooney family, if you've heard anything about the Steelers, man, that's this family is notorious. They're, they're one and the same when you talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Rooneys and Pittsburgh Steelers. He died at age 84. And uh, one of the cool stories I read about Dan Rooney was he was truly a – he loved the fans, the Pittsburgh Steelers fans, and he, and he didn't just say it. He remained adamant that he was not going to raise ticket prices for the Pittsburgh Steelers ever. So he said, hey, I don't care what the other owners say because the other owners are like, look, you're lowering ticket prices. We, we, do, we do cost sharing here. 
So we all lose money when you do that, and you're looking, making us look bad. And he said, I don't care. I want a Pittsburgh Steelers family to be able to come, enjoy, and uh, be able to afford coming to a Pittsburgh Steelers game. I'm not raising the prices. And I just thought that was something, once again, that spoke to the character of Dan Rooney. He told the other owners, basically, in a nutshell, not just paraphrasing, you make enough money, we all make enough money, we can afford to do this. Let's keep these uh, ticket prices down. Let's keep these fans around and let them enjoy it as a family. Because it's very difficult. I go to a, I go to a professional football game, man. I take my son. I feel yeah. like i got to take out a loan, man. Oh. It was 100 bucks for parking at the Dallas Cowboys game. Crazy. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah Jerry, Jerry's got enough money. I, I tell you what, I, I read a book uh, called Their Life's Work by uh, Gary Pomerantz about the 1970s Pittsburgh Steelers. It's a fantastic book. And he talks about Rooney in there, of course, and how they put the team together and some of those guys, where they are now, what they were then, how they became part of the team. Uh, It's called Their Life's Work, uh, The Brotherhood of the 70s Pittsburgh Steelers. And, uh, you know, he didn't pull punches on these guys about, you know, what types of guys they were on and off the field and what what their relationships were. But, man, the stuff he's had about Rooney just – Rooney was the type of owner that would be like, oh, Terry Bradshaw, let's talk about your contract. Come over to my house. We'll have dinner. We'll sit down. We'll chat. You know, he had Mean Joe Green to that house all the time. You know, that was the kind of guy he was. And I heard a story today on our local radio because Ron Wolfley uh, has a sports show in town. And he also the Cardinals uh, color commentator. And his brother played, Craig Wolfley, played uh, for the Steelers and worked with the Steelers. And he said there was a time when Rooney later in life, um, Craig Wolfley was up in the press box. And Dan Rooney came up into the press box. But he didn't have a credential on. And some some young security guy goes up to him and says, hey, excuse me, sir, you don't have the proper credential. I'm going to have to ask you to leave. (laughs) Now, how do you think Jerry Jones would respond to that? You know, Dan Rooney says, oh, okay, young man, you're exactly right. Bye. And turn around and walked out. And the guy comes back to where uh, they were all standing and says, guy says, wow, I hated doing that. That guy seemed like a really nice guy. Who was that? And the guy turns and goes. Well, he owns a team, and uh, he's the uh, ambassador to Ireland. But, you know, good luck with the rest of your career. And he walked off. But that was Dan Rooney. Yeah. Some kid kicked him out of his own press box. Oh. He just went and said, hey, you're, you're right. I'll leave. Like, he didn't make a big fuss. That's amazing. That's a great story. Once again, speaks to the character of Dan Rooney. So, hey, we lost two uh, huge – uh, pillars of uh, football this week uh, with Dan Rooney and uh, Spike Dykes. So, yeah, it's a tough tough loss for the football world. Hey, speaking of things that happen in bunches, right now it seems like hamstring injuries and calf injuries are the uh, are the injury uh, soup de jour of the uh, Major League Baseball. you got three hamstring injuries in Major League Baseball right now with Matt Kemp uh, for the Braves being out, the uh, Matt Harvey for the Mets, the pitcher for the Mets is out, and Franklin Gutierrez for the Dodgers. All three are out right now with hamstring injuries. Three different positions, so it's pretty crazy when you see things happen in bunches. And then you got Adrian Beltre, who's going to be out for the – they look like for about uh, – so far it's been about two weeks of the season, maybe out for another week. Because sometimes these things, four to six weeks is not uncommon before your hamstring feels good enough to go back out and uh, play. And uh, then Josh Donaldson, the star Blue Jays player, uh, he's also a third baseman. Uh, he's out as well. So two calf strains and third basemans and three injuries to hamstring players. It just uh, happens in bunches. I don't know why. Every time you see a hamstring injury, one year you had Nelly Cruz and Josh Donaldson for the Rangers were out like months on end with hamstring injuries. You just couldn't seem to get either one of them back. So uh, hamstring injuries, remember, they're your break. Your hamstring in the back of your leg, your back of your upper leg, is the break that slows down the swing phase of your gait. In other words, when you're running, your foot doesn't kick out like it's all uncontrolled. It swings out, and it slowly slows down, and that's because your hamstrings are engaging it. So it's one of the muscles that is firing as it's elongating. So it is 
the muscles are contracting while the muscle gets longer. We call that an eccentric phase of, of muscle contraction. But that's a big, high tensile load on basically a really, really strong rubber band that's being pulled. And sometimes if it pulls too much, you get a hamstring injury. Those always worries me. Hamstrings and obliques seem to be the ones that you, they're so easy to retweak once you come back. They almost tend to linger throughout the year, and they, that always makes me nervous from a fantasy standpoint, but also when I'm rooting for my team. Yeah. You know, when a guy goes Just out with a hamstring, yeah. it seems like it always flares up. Four to six weeks. There was a guy named uh, Dr. I think his name was Scott Nadler, I believe it was, that did a study, and it's probably been about 10, 15 years ago, that looked at how do you rehab hamstring injuries. If you just do stretching of your hamstring, does it improve your uh, incidence of it reoccurring? And the answer was no. So just stretching doesn't doesn't decrease your risk of having it happen again. Hmm. But it was found that if you did stretching your hamstring and you strengthened your core, remember all you are in Ferris, all you are in life. I've never I know you've never heard this, but for those who are catching docs and jocks for the very first time, you are a box with four little pendulums hanging off of it. If the box, which is your foundation that the pendulums swing off of, if it is steady and moves through space nice and nice and steady, in other words, your core stable. Then the pendulums that are swinging off the box, they swing in a very normal, controlled pattern. If you take the box and now you wobble the box, then the pendulums do a little bit crazier things. So if your hamstrings are the big muscles in your legs that are putting the brakes on, if the, if the pendulums are swinging crazy, now you get a higher jerk, a higher pull, a higher tensile load on those hamstrings. You have a higher incidence of it happening in the first place and have it happening again. So if you want to get better from a hamstring injury, don't just do stretching, though that's good. You also want to do a core strengthening program along with stretching. And oftentimes a good physical therapist, a good athletic trainer, a good uh, personal trainer who's uh, certified, all those guys can show you how to do those types of exercises. So that's uh, one of the things you want to do. Hey, Ferris, we're down to our last minute here. I, th- I thought uh, you and I would say thank you, especially to Coach Cliff Kingsbury, who came on this week and uh, wanted to talk about his head coach, Spike Dykes. So we tried to send Coach Kingsbury a gift for coming on the show, and he said, nope, I don't want it. Uh, the biggest honor was for me to come on and talk about my friend, my mentor, my hero, Spike Dykes. I thought that was a great uh, testament to Cliff Kingsbury and who he is, and he speaks to his character a lot. And then uh, we also want to say thank you to Spike Dykes and his family for Spike Dykes came on a little no-name show called Docs and Jocks about three years ago. He didn't have to come on the show. He came on, was about the most gracious guest we've ever had, and uh, did it for no other reason than he just wanted to be nice to another West Texas uh, uh, sports addict like uh, you and I, Ferris. So I want to say thank you to Spike Dykes and his family for coming on uh, Docs and Jocks those years ago, and may he uh, rest in peace. Uh, man, he was a great football guy. We'll say on that note, goodbye from all of us here on Docs and Jocks. I'm, I'm Dr. Dan with Texas Sports Spine and uh, Ferris Potter, the voice of Grand Canyon Uni- University. Until all, all of us uh, see you next week, we'll see you here on Docs and Jocks.